So kick off your shoes, relax your feet, and let's get into it. Hey, girl. Hey. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Crystal. What's up with you? How are you doing today? I am doing okay. It's quarter in, so I'll be glad when the quarter. It's going to be a, a long rest of the week. But the weekend, the weekend is coming. And you know what else is coming? Christmas Christmas is coming because it's 2020. And although it's soon to be October, it might as well fucking be Christmas. I mean, like we could use a really could use a Christmas. And you know what? We could really use a black ass Christmas and this Christmas. Yes. Like that. And so I was super excited to see that there is a new Christmas musical that's blackity, black, blackity, black, black, black. And you know, it's black because the name of the musical is called Jingle Jangle. Come on for the jingles. And it's a Christmas movie starring Forrest Whitaker, Madeline Mills, Keegan-Michael Key, mm. Felicia Rashad, and Anika Noni-Rose, mm. and several other people. It is directed by none other than David E. Talbert. So you know it's going to be blackity, black, black. I can't wait to just be able to relate with everybody on the screen. And it's going to be released on Netflix November 13th. So that'll be here in like... I don't know. Two weeks. Yeah, that's how it's going to feel. It's going to feel like, oh, it's Thanksgiving already. So I think we should watch that live for the viewers. Should we? Y'all let us know. So we've been thinking about utilizing Twitch so that you can actually see our faces because most of you don't know us. And you probably should know us and see us because, I mean, if you like the way we sound, you're really going to like the way we look. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we'll see. Maybe we all do a blackity black ass Christmas show. Oh, I know. I can wear something, too. Mm-hmm. I'll dress up for the people. Wear your jingle jangle. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a nice update. Thank you. So, are you ready to talk about this week's episode of Lovecraft Country? I am. <laughs> Get it? I got it. That it was, was genius. so witty. Man, I loved everything about this episode. So, we start with Hippolyta in the room. She's bouncing back and forth in this scene between trying to figure out how to open this Ori. And then they also take us back to three days prior and she is at the Braithwaite mansion. It's a complete pile of rubble. Mm-hmm. She's trying to put some things together. And finally, I'm like, now we know that they made it to Artem. Thank goodness. They made it safely. Now, I did feel that that lovely, conveniently placed piece of the comic book was a stretch, but I get it. I know what y'all was going for. George was here. I thought it was funny because Dee was like, um, mama, I don't think we supposed to be here. Okay. Because that's what any of us would have done. Would have been like, first of all, you already had me traversing through the dark, through sundown countries and all kinds of shit. Like, mom, what is going on? And what does this have to do with dad? Um, exactly. D has all the questions and I have the same questions and Hippolyta, I would also like to say that we've been saying her name Hella Country. Excuse us y'all. But Hippolyta is looking disheveled, sist and sweated out her edges and everything. <laughs> so she was on a mission. Yes, she Funky was. Funky expedition. Okay, shout out to Conscious Daughters. She finds a copy of Arinthia Blue, 
which is the comic that D makes. And she knows for sure George was there and she's frustrated. She's sad. She's angry. And so now we're back in the room where she's looking at the Ori because she's trying to figure it out. And she's working on complicated equations and theories and all this kind of stuff. And she gives up and she literally does what we all do when we give up. She's speaking to whomever, Jesus, God, I don't know. She's like, I give up. This don't make no sense. I'm just talking to myself right now. Just talking to myself. And in that moment, she knocks the orrery over and turns it on his side. And she has a stroke of genius. She realizes that the suns actually need to tilt based on how they rotate on their axis. So she tilts the suns and the orrery opens. And it's a beautiful sight. I mean, it's all gold and glistening and it's lighting up. It opens up and she notices there's a key. And there's also an inscription and it says every beginning is in time and every limit of extension in space, along with two coordinates, which we can assume is latitude and longitude. And I have no fucking idea what this inscription means. I looked it up and it's about some theory of practical some for definitive. If y'all know what this is related to, by all means, let us know, because I was like, this definitely has to have a more deeper meaning, right? has to and we know that the coordinates are most likely where the lock is located that coincides with the key it better be yeah so so now we're in william's basement Mm -hmm. we find ourselves with christina and ruby and we see two bodies there we get the answer of finally what the f is in the basement and it's two dead bodies it's william and Dell hooked up to machines that's keeping their blood circulating. Mm-hmm. Ruby's starting to put all this shit together, and she's like, "So you pulled me in as part of your ploy and plot to avenge and get revenge for your dead lover. You seduced me. You seduced me, not William." Mm-hmm. Christina's out here like, "Well, I mean, William presented as Williams, but those words came from me. Like this is legit." And Ruby says, "I want to know everything." It's time for you to let me know what the heck is going on. Listen, Ruby is in on the interracial lesbian relationship because she's not questioning the whole like, wait a minute, you are a woman. I thought you were a man. She she very lightly questioned that. She just was like, I just need to know everything for this. Even though Ruby's cool with them, I don't know, progressing as what they are. I wish they would have showed us what Christina actually shared with her because now I don't know what she does know, what she doesn't know. Nor do I know if she's really like a mole for Christina now. Yes. Like, what does all this mean? But I'm also like, I don't want you pursuing a relationship with her. And Ruby seems hell bent on doing it anyways. I don't know why. Christina also let her in on her father is a member of the Order of the Ancient Dawn and kind of what that means loosely and how Christina seduced William to teach her. But then she realized that her pursuit should have been much higher than just trying to prove to her dad, look what I can do. Right. That she actually could do much more. She also let Ruby know that it involves these lost pages from the Book of Names and it also involves Ruby's family, i.e. Letty. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we don't know what else was said, but I feel like Ruby is very, I don't know, like she's one, she's a person who seeks out love and attention and validation. Christina knows that. So I kind of feel that Christina is really into her, but I also feel like it's manipulative and it's the same. It's a power dynamic that I don't like at all i just don't trust her enough i I find that whatever they do she can authentic for what we're seeing right now Mm -hmm. 
I'm just anticipating her turning on her. Yeah. But that's just me. Yeah. I'm with you. Now we're at Letty's and uh, Letty's having a dream. She's chasing Hannah. This is a very similar dream to what we've seen Tick has had. Chasing Hannah down this hallway at the Braithwright Mansion. There's fire all around. What makes this dream particularly unique is, one, Hannah doesn't say anything to her. She's just looking at her. But two, we also discover that Letty is with child or pregnant. And then, like, her womb bursts into flames. And I'm like, well, what the heck? Girl. What is the message that you trying? Is she pregnant to with get to the people? The devil's spawn? Like what the hell is going on? I should very cute. It's gonna be a very cute, traumatized, conflicted <laughs> child. <laughs> what I what I notice is Letty had on us this fancy ass silk nightgown with Bolero. Like I focus on the wrong things. Like I should be you focused look on at the wardrobe. Listen, come on, wardrobe. That I just was like, well, goddamn. And I was watching this with my partner, and he was like, yeah, because there was a point in time when like women dressed up for bed. Don't do it. First of all, shade. Okay. Don't do it. But also, I was like, I could do a little nightgown with a bolero. So she goes upstairs to go see where Tick was because she woke up and he was gone. They have this embrace. Again, y'all know how much I love when Tick and Letty do these embraces. He holds her tightly. He kisses her. It looks like there might be a, an actual baby bump. We can't really tell. We don't know if this is just a dream or if she's actually pregnant. Very true. And I like this moment between them, but they're having this really sweet moment and he almost pushes her away. And we find out that he's like engrossed in trying to translate these pages. He seemed a bit discouraged to me when he's trying to put together the fact that Titus and all these members have spent a lifetime or lifetimes attempting to interpret and translate these things to come up with spells. And here he is, he's had it for, you know, in our mind, seven weeks. <laughs> and he's like, I mean, I don't really know if I got the time to figure all this stuff out. And that's when Letty slips in that, well, you know, Hannah was running out the house and he's like, well, wait, how do you know that? Mm -hmm. And then they're sharing that they're having a similar dream. Conveniently left out the fact that in this dream, she was pregnant. She sure did. She said, I was uh, not uh, scared. She straight choked over the words. <laughs> Listen, wouldn't you? Tick deduces that Hannah is trying to tell them something. Yes. And they think it has something to do with the book of names, which is what I've been saying that book is this whole time. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, it's basically a family Bible. Yeah. With, with family trees. In That's it. what it is. And then Letty is like, well, if Hannah escaped with the book of names, wouldn't there be magic in your family? Boom. Um, and Tick is like, well, I don't know much about my mama's side. You know, Hannah was the only survivor of the Tulsa riots from what he's been told. Um, he also mentioned, though, that he was translating the pages and he's gotten a lot of the translations done, but he's realizing that there's more to casting the spells than just knowing the spells there's more technique that's needed and that so sense. they deduce that if christina is going after just the pages alone they can beat her by finding the whole damn book but the thing that neither of them knows is that christina although not part of the order has been trained underneath the order via william so she may not n need to know how to cast a spell she might just need the pages very true so, but we know that book has power. Yeah. Well, we, I don't know. I'm of the belief that it's not so much the book that has power. I think the power is within Tick and Letty. 
and whomever else. I don't think they've realized just yet that they are the source of the power. I can see that. They yeah. just need to figure out how to access it. Yeah. Now we're at Montrose's. Man, this scene right here <sighs> broke my heart. Oops. So I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Sammy is in the kitchen of Montrose's fixing breakfast. And you know it's got to be good if you get up in the morning fixing breakfast. I said somebody put it down. And he got up to fix him a good old country breakfast. He got up to fix him some bacon, some eggs, some grits. Grits that stick to grits. your stomach. Come yes. on. Shout out Jill Scott. Come on, Jilly from Philly. The way. And we find out that this was the first time that Sammy had been allowed to spend the night. That's a damn shame. And they're both glowing and they playing music. And they, they look to be in love and everything seems to be going well until Sammy mentions that he ran into a neighbor of Montrose's on his way back from the grocery store in like full stop. Right. It was written all over his face and his actions, his attitude, his or like, uh oh, because anybody who's on a DL, they are so worried about being outed. And he comes to the table to start to eat his breakfast and he just gets nitpicky about everything. The grits are runny or too watery. <laughs> Sammy's like, so what you going to tell me next that the coffee too wet? Like, it's coffee. <laughs> and I love Sammy's response. Like, because we've seen in this last episode or a couple episodes ago where they've done this dance. Montrose comes. He consoles him in this way. He runs away. Mm-hmm. Here they are now transitioning to something a little different. We're thinking Montrose had this amazing experience and he just going to be out. And here he is doing the same old shit. I told y'all glitter don't work like that. Didn't I tell y'all that? (laughs) It ain't enough glitter in the world to make somebody that's in the closet comfortably come out of that bitch. Right. Sammy was like, oh, no, ma'am. No, sir. We not doing this today. I will leave and take my ass back to my house. Because what you not going to do is play me. Which I think was the right answer. It sure was. And he goes to walk away. I said, you better show him with your actions and not just your words. Thank you. And Montrose looks like, oh shit. Like he's really leaving. He goes to grab his hand. He apologizes. And in the hallway, who do we see? Letty and Tick. What the hell y'all doing here? Bruh. They coming to ask questions because they don't know nothing about Dora's family. But what they did not know that they was going to be running into a lover's quarrel. No, they didn't. They didn't know Montrose was going to be walking in the hallway talking about, don't walk away, boy. Don't walk away. Because <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what happened. And man, oh man, they got an eyeful. And Sammy and Letty both was like, oop, put my head down and let's act like none of that happened. But Tick and Montrose was looking each other dead in the face. Well, they knew. Like, I don't need to be in the middle of this. Sammy kindly excused himself <laughs> and Letty was like, I'm just going to let play out (laughs) (laughs) oh and then tick is like so it's true you a faggot it hurt me to hear him say that i'm just like that's so derogatory but i i knew where it was coming from just all of that anger and his pain welling up inside for this moment right here i done heard the chatter in the streets it ain't come from you and then he finds out by asking a very direct question that his mama knew so now i'm like I'm definitely thinking Uncle Daddy George is his poppy. Exactly. And Montrose, first of all, was like, boy, I'm still your daddy. You gonna respect me. Don't call me out my goddamn name. And we see Tick do his usual thing. Like he trying to suck up his, I'm angry. You better make that Mm. face. I wish y'all could see it. And they look like they about to fight again. And I'm like, Montrose, last time he beat your ass. Tick this time is just like so hurt. And like you said, when he found out that his mom knew, that his dad was gay or bi, I'm not sure, but that his dad also liked men. 
He couldn't handle it. He ran out. I do appreciate Tick taking that rage and going elsewhere and not just throwing his fist into his daddy's face this time. He just couldn't handle it. He storms out in a rage. Letty stays behind. She doesn't immediately run after him because sis is like, I got a mission. We came here to find out information and that's what I'm going to do. I also think she's like the last time I'm going to take a couple lessons. Let me give it a minute to cool off and then I'm going to swing on by and make sure he all right. And I'm with you. Was Dora Montrose's beard or were they in a relationship where they were open and she knew that her man also liked men? But I'm with you. This further proves to me that Uncle Daddy George is Tick's biological dad because it seems like they are trading one secret for another. So now we see Tick is outside. He's fuming. He tells Letty that the reason why this hurts so badly is because his daddy used to beat his ass trying to keep the quote unquote softness or feminine anything out of Tick. He actually believed that his dad did that out of love. Like he loved me enough. But now he realizes that his dad was taking his own trauma out on his son. Yeah. And I think some of it was also probably some self-hatred and his inability to accept himself for how he was not accepted. And this reminded me of the bluest eye. The character Pacola was illustrating how children, black children are oftentimes the least protected in a society that's built upon systemic oppression and racism. And the reason why that is, is because the black men go out into the world and are being emasculated, dehumanized all the time, oftentimes in front of women, much like the first episode when the police officer checked tick and was like, you gonna have to beg me. And he did that shit in front of Letty. Mm -hmm. Right. So that happens. And then the women oftentimes can't stand up for their men because they're in danger of losing their jobs. And so what happens is the man comes home, he takes out his trauma on the woman. The woman doesn't have anyone else who has less power than her, than her children. And so it's just this ugly, vicious cycle. So it's just like parents passing on their trauma to their innocent children. Yeah. My heart aches for tick because he's such a good guy and you can see how this, damages him i mean we saw how he utilized it in the previous episode in war right but it just it just makes me it makes me hurt for all of the men and women who are walking around carrying wounds that do not belong to them what did letty actually find out letty found out that there was a cousin of his great grandmother who actually also survived the Tulsa riots and she lives or she was last known to live in St. Louis and she hopefully would have had that book of names. So she's like, I at least know there's somebody you can meet in St. Louis to get some more. And this is when we roll up to Hippolyta and George's business. Tick walking fast like he is on a mission because he's like, maybe we can use Woody to go to St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Woody was reserved. Woody belongs to Hippolyta and Hippolyta got something to do. Okay. We see that Ruby's going to babysit Dee while she's out of town. So it looks like Hippolyta is all packed up. She's asking Dee if she wants to run through the checklist and Dee gets hella mouthy. And I'm like, ooh, yes, for these teenage years. I know part of it was, first of all, mama, you leaving. And the other part was, this is my tradition with dad. So this is probably feeling weird and awkward. This is probably the first time they've done something like this to this magnitude. Well, at least we didn't see that when they went on the road trip to Boston. Yes. I think that 
those were some of the emotions that were elicited during that. But Ruby's like, it's going to be cool. We're going to invite some friends over. She's going to forget all about that and have a good time. Hey, hey, thank God for that, like, older cousin or that, that grown-up that's cool as hell. Like, we're going to have a party, and it is what it is. She's going to eat all of the desserts and have all the Coca-Cola she can stomach, and she'll be okay. And we know that Hippolyta is going to wherever those coordinates lead her. Mm-hmm. And we know that and we know this is she's going on an adventure and this is her first time going on an adventure without Diane. Diane is very adventurous. So she feels left out. And the other thing, too, is like Hippolyta thinks this has something to do with George's death, which is only partially true. I mean, it does, but it, then it kind of doesn't. But it makes me wonder, y'all all have different pieces to the puzzle. If y'all could just sit down together and have an honest conversation, you might actually be able to figure this shit out. Cause she going on a wild goose chase from like some small minute part of George's death and Tick and Letty actually know what the hell going on, but they have no idea about this key. And they honestly just thought it was an Ori. They didn't know what the Ori gave them access to. Yeah. So I'm just like, well, can't y'all just sit in the room over a cup of coffee and figure this out? Come on in the room. Come on, black people work together. So Letty and Tick roll up. Cause mind you, they want to use Woody and Hippolyta is like, nope. And Tick is like, well, would Uncle George, uh, did Uncle George leave you in charge or anything? No, sir. I'm a grown ass woman. She said, back the fuck up. She literally backed up from my car. She said, back up. I said, ooh. He was like, oh, I guess we're going to be blessed then. She said, try Jesus, not me. <laughs> Today is not the day. I put gas in this motherfucker. Right? So Letty and Tick have this little situation going on because we know that Ruby and Letty have not spoken. Tick is like, well, I could go on the trip to St. Louis by myself if you want to stay behind. And I thought this was cute because every time I'm I'm on the fence about their relationship, like, oh, this trauma bonding, he does something to let me know that he really does love her because he cares and he's concerned about her. And he's taking accountability like this is about some shit about my family. and You need to handle your family business. And I support you in that. And I was like, oh. He's doing the right thing. I liked seeing Tick's side of that, but I also enjoyed seeing Letty's response. We see when she rolled up to the driveway that her face kind of softened. She's like, wow, that's my sister. I haven't talked to her in a minute. And you could visibly see that she was in between riding, rolling with her man, ride or die, or like trying to resolve what's happening between her and her sister. Mm-hmm. So I, I really appreciated his urge to give her permission, not that she needed it, but like, it's okay if it's I go okay. by myself. You yeah. can take care of what you got to take care of here. And so she goes to speak to Ruby and Ruby is sitting in this window, perched, <laughs> sitting pretty. She got these sunglasses on. She's unbothered. And I'm like, clearly shade runs in the family. Because remember when Letty was walking around <laughs> with them sunglasses and looking at them white people like, excuse you you ain't never seen nobody black before hello i was like oh this is a shady ass family and letty like you said is being a big girl she apologizes to her sister for not being honest about where the money came from even though she did not know really where the money came from and for being selfish and for trying to hustle her sister and she realized that she does kind of act like their mother in a lot of ways and we see ruby visibly soften And we find out it's because their mama never apologized. And so she realizes the fact that Letty is apologizing does make her different than their mom. Yeah, that was a very rewarding encounter to experience. I was happy to see Letty own to her actions and be very specific about what they were. And I was happy that Ruby was not 
hard-headed or, you know, just being petty about it. Yes. But I also think she's not being petty because she's on a mission. She's not actually just being there to be a very good sister. She's now on a mission for her bitch. Like she was making fun of Letty being all on Tick's team. But I'm like, but you on Christina's team now, sis. And then there is that nuance. You're Mm -hmm. right. Now we see T.T. Hippolyta on the road. Windows down, breeze blowing through Woody. She's singing along to some, I thought this was Josephine Baker. And because we see Josephine Baker later, I'm like, oh, it probably is. Because it's a black woman singing in French. Hippolyta is singing a song in French. I'm like, what don't you know? She knows everything. She is like genius goddess. She is everything. And we see from the map that the coordinates lead to somewhere in Kansas. Mm -hmm. And at some point she's joined on the road by another black woman traveler who's on a Harley. And we find out that it's Bessie Springfield who broke the color barriers by driving her Harley, which she taught herself how to ride. Come on now. Across the U.S. solo. They did this like, hey, girl, hey, situation out the window. And I love that because that's what we do in real life when like when a black woman sees another black woman in a space that's not typically occupied by black women. We do this like, oh, my God. Hey, girl. And it was so cute to see that. And there's these two black women, each on their own separate adventures. They're trailblazing. And also they're without the protection of a man, which is highly important during these times, especially if you're a black woman, which is why Uncle Daddy George didn't want her on the road by herself in the first place because she's unprotected. And we got to remember, like, this is monumental. Like, this is before black bike clubs. Right. This is before desegregation, before women's rights. So imagine being a black woman riding a motorcycle across the United States. I read something about how she faced so much racism that she oftentimes slept on her bike. Wow. On the road because there was no one who would accept her. What I loved about this was also the cinematography of this. Just seeing them in this open road, two lane highway, no roadblocks, no traffic jam. Like literally everything in front of them was theirs to wanted to do mm-hmm. it. I thought it was so symbolic of the possibilities. And I'm like, yes, Hippolyta, I want to see you take this exploration. Yes, that freedom, those open road, open spaces. And these are the facts that we're here for. This is the stuff that was missing in the last episode. These are some key components that we're missing because this is what good Easter eggs do. They show you something that you're like, is that, or you have to look it up, but it ties into not only this episode, but it ties into the larger story arc. So thank you writers, because this is the stuff that we want to see. We also see that Hippolyta reaches into her lunch bag, her picnic bag, and there's a copy of the latest installment of Arinthia blue. And so we see that D gave her a copy after all. So she wasn't, she kept some tradition yes. and I was like, Oh, and I thought that was a little like love message to her mama. Like I'm mad at you, but have fun. If that it was touching. Yes. Oh, she's so sweet. <laughs> and then we also learned that tick has made it to St. Louis by the gray hat. You and me both girl. My, our parents was like oh, $5. <laughs> it's like, but it takes me six hours to go. Only six girl. I'm on that bus for eight. I was only going from Sacramento to Oakland. So cheap. So goddamn cheap. He's seeking out his cousin or his great grandmother's cousin. That's his cousin. And he actually ends up ending up at her friend's house. Miss Oberta. I thought this name was so black. All of them is black. 
And she's talking to him about how they met. And I thought this story was so quintessential of just black culture. Their husband served on the deacon board together at First Baptist Church, which was probably on Main Street in the downtown of some small town. Mm -hmm. And they were basically thick as thieves. She talked about her family all the time. He asked her if she made mention of the book of names. I was wondering why this was his question. I'm like, you know, that's not what she called it when she talked about it, right? She doesn't know have the answer to this question, but she says she doesn't recall and that if she did know about it, it would be some type of photo album or like a family Bible. I said, see, so mm -hmm. black. And she knows that she does have a photo album that so she can show him a picture of what she used to look like. He offers to go get it. I'm like, so you know the layout of her house? <laughs> where are you going to get this photo album from, bruh? Because you know where black people look at. We are in my living room right now. Tell me where my photo albums are. Right there on that bookshelf. And that's where they've been the whole 36 years of my life because that's where my daddy kept his photo albums. We know where black people keep shit. But he wasn't going to know which photo album. I'll bring them all, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> but she says... They more than likely all burned in the riots as well. Like, geez, Louise, I actually want to know if they're going to take us back to a story related to the riots, maybe Montrose's backstory or something, because they keep bringing it up. And at this point, I'm like, this isn't just historical context. Well, and she said the massacre, which made me I didn't have a chance to look it up, but there was a massacre that occurred in St. Louis. There was a massacre of East St. Louis. So I'm like. Wow, is it? Are you telling me about more historical events? I'm not sure. We also find out that Miss Alberta is the friend of Hannah's cousin. And Hannah's cousin's name was Ethel. So you yes. got Alberta and Ethel. <laughs> so again, talking about blackity black, she's feeding him a full ass spread of greens, yes. macaroni and cheese. I'm like, that's so black when you go to somebody's house that they had how a, we do yeah and family you, come on and, and you know boys. she sent him home with a brown paper bag to go back on that greyhound he had a pork chop sandwich i know for sure he did with white bread yeah she set him up i was like this is so black but the thing is is when i was looking at this photo album i was like were y'all quote unquote friends or friends because you know back in the day she made that one comment and was like we not we not supposed to be like this that's what i'm said saying both their husbands died and i said they were closer mm -hmm. companions Miss, later in life yes they were companions that's what i think and he was looking at this photo album she points out to a photo and he notices that ethel i believe it's ethel has mm -hmm. a birthmark on her bicep that matches the birthmark that he has on his back and so the phone rang she said who calling at this hour because you know it's long distance and it's late we figure out that we are now in kansas and we're in mayfield so this is where hippolyta ended up and she pulls up in the dark to a field and it's windy and there's a huge domed building. It's like this is very sci-fi because she's walking towards the building. She's also walking towards the moon. Mm -hmm. And now we are back at Hippolyta. So we're back in the south side of Chicago. And Dean Can we go back really quickly? Yes. While they were at the house, the phone call was Letty. And she was calling to tell Tick that Hipp Hippolyta figured out the Ori. And she was like, it was something in there and some coordinates. And basically told him she was on her way to St. Louis. And she knows by this point that she is aware that they lied to her yes yes so at that same time because because letty is at hippolytus so d and her friends are playing cards so letty's playing with the kid ruby's in the kitchen cooking dinner 
Um, they Letty goes in to have a conversation with Ruby, and Ruby is like, you know, she's like, Where you been staying? Letty's like, Where you been staying? And Ruby's like, I've been staying on the north side, and you know, the north side is white. So she's like, Oh, you've been staying with somebody white? And she conveniently like dismisses the question. She's like, But I what about your man? That. Let's talk about your man, sis. And she's like, What about him? And she was like, I noticed he don't have no job. So what does he do? And Letty is like, Girl, he's, he's a big help around man. the house. Listen, he helps around the house a lot. And it seems to me like Ruby is gathering intel because she's asking all these questions like, well, where are you and Tick headed earlier? Y'all was off to somewhere. And I'm like, now who's trifling and scheming, Ruby? You was mm-hmm. just calling Lady trifling and scheming like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And now you trifling. Mm-hmm. And so, again, she conveniently switches the conversation again. She's like, girl, come over here and taste this food. And Letty goes over and she's immediately made nauseous by the garlic in whatever Ruby's fixing. And garlic is typically something that she loves. So Ruby is like, you must be pregnant because you love garlic. But I get hear th- you might have another theory. Yeah, because get this. Who else hates garlic but vampires? <laughs> Here's the thing. We don't know what Letty is. We don't know what happened to her. We know she died and she came back to life. So I'm like, is she a vampire or is she just a sick pregnant woman or is she pregnant with the spawn of Satan? I don't know (laughs) because everything is about monsters. So like, is she pregnant with a monster? I don't know. And that's when she sees the orrery because she goes to go get air. She's feeling nauseous and she sees this thing going on. So when Letty makes this phone call to Tick, Ruby is spying on her. She overhears everything. She does. Trife. So we'll see what happens with that. Listen. So now we're back in Mayfield, Kansas. Now Hippolyta has made her way inside of the building. And this is an observatory, right? It looks like, well, I'm, I guess an observatory t- technically looks like at stars or something. Okay. I didn't see any of that, but it seems like some kind of like top secret lab like telescope in like contraption. Was that what it was? I mean, I know it looked like it pointed out to space. Oh, well, then that's probably what it is. Yeah. (laughs) And so she's looking around and she sees the lock that's for her key. And she knows it's the lock because it looks like a lock. And also it has the same exact inscription on it as the Ori did. So what do you do when you see a lock and you have a key? She puts the key in and this like engine whirls and there's movable planets And when she moves the planet, there's like this analog monitor to the side of it. And the times or dates or something starts shifting. Correct. So I'm thinking, oh, this is a time machine. That's my first assumption. I could see that. I can see how I'm like, am I supposed to climb in front of this thing? (laughs) Spin around? Is this like, you know, I shrunk the kids. Like, is it a pin? Like a laser that like... Sucks you. I don't know, but she. I love that movie. But she immediately starts reciting mass, rotation, velocity, and radius. Mass, rotation, velocity, and radius. Like this woman is so smart. Like she is pulling this shit out of her memory banks. Just in the in a split of a second, she has recited the formula for angular momentum. Like what the hell in her head? She didn't textbook nothing. No, they gave us a little insight into this when she first discovered the Ori and was trying to figure it out. But it wasn't until this episode that I had any idea how amazing of a genius mathematician, astronomer, like 
she really is physicist she's all of that because this mass rotation velocity and radius that has to deal with the length of time it takes for each planet to travel around the sun like this is physics like i girl like she should have several phds at this point um and she is now writing these very complex functions and equations all in her head and with the pen and paper. And she's actually writing in the guidebook. Yeah, that's what I it was. I loved that. Yes, I was trying to figure out what it was. And the imagery that's playing on the screen is we're seeing these equations to the side of her. It looks very, um, there's some show, I think it's like CSI or something where they do it. But it's, CSI does do that. Yeah, it's like where you can kind of see someone's inner thoughts. And the woman is just brilliant. Like, I don't know how much more to stress how brilliant she is i can't even remember like the quadratic equation most of the time so she (laughs) she just pulls this shit out like i'm like pim does like what is okay she has she she's got it and so she's figuring out and she's playing with the thing she's she's moved the planets on the the monitor or whatever and security guards come because they notice something is amiss. Of course, nosy. I mean, they're being paid to do it. But they're like, hey, why is this thing on? And they catch her. And they're like, girl, what you doing in here? So they made mention of Captain Lancaster. And I'm like, I guess they were keeping an eye on it for him. So I didn't know if this was like a reference <gasps> back to things related to the lodge. And I don't know if they're members or not, or he just, his hand stretches. We know he has something to do with a Winthrop project in Kentucky. Yes. So I was like, how the heck does he know anything's even going on? Cause he doesn't have the Ori. Hippolyta does. Yes, that was because in the last few episodes, it was something about the Winthrop observatory, but that was in Kentucky, right? Yes. So maybe there's something else in Kansas that they, this is something else in Kansas that he was aware of. So that's a good point. I was like, how the hell does Captain Lancaster even know about this? He would send them to check on it right now. Hmm. This is a lot. We'll see. Hopefully they'll bring that back together for me, but I definitely have questions about it. So they catch her. And soon as they catch her, Tick swoops in. And I'm like, where the hell he come from? Girl. Is St. Louis that close to Kansas? It's at least a three hour drive. And if you took the Greyhound, you know, it's at least two and a half times a regular time in a car. (laughs) So he swoops in and they're tussling and Hippolyta is pistol whipped during this time. And when she's pistol whipped, she falls onto the machine and the machine somehow it changes. It changes the course that she just calculated and the times on the monitor shift and portals start opening on the wall. Like a lot of them, a lot of them. Um, Tick throws one of the cops through one. Oh, I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> Cause you got to use what you got. Like okay. throw them in there and Hippolyta, uh, pop the cap. She got a body on it. She got a body, bro. She not just no PhD. She also will give you the business if need to. Now she was spooked. You could tell she never shot a gun. I know she got rid of that bug real quick. So like, fast. Texas, she was in the war. You know what to do. Yes. <laughs> and so in that moment, one of the portals grabs Hippolyta. It takes her through a portal. Tick reaches for her, trying to catch her. He ends up going through a portal as well. We're not sure if it's the same one. And this next image was just so beautiful because we see Hippolyta being grabbed. And then we see she's free falling through like energy. Mm -hmm. And she emerges like a shooting star or a comet 
going towards another planet. Yes. And at the bottom of the screen, this is very sci-fi. At the bottom of the screen, there's three numbers, some kind of coordinates. And I was like, well, what kind of coordinates are those? Because there's three. Can't just be latitude and longitude. I don't know what it is. I don't know if this is like quantum mechanics, if it's like this space time has four dimensions. So I don't know. I did what this look means. into this. Latitude, longitude are required. But for I'm gonna say this wasn't time travel more than it was space travel. We learn about that later. You can also use a coordinate of time to actually set a time or a date if log things were important in the mm. observatory for you to go as a destination as well. This was giving me quantum leap. This was giving me a wrinkle in time. This was giving me back to the future. It was giving me a time machine. It was giving me every time movie, like sci-fi time travel movie I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. But like you said, we were trying to figure out, like, is she traveling through time? Is she she just traveling through alternate universes? Who knows, right? We don't know that yet, but we know that she lands on an unknown planet. Calling out for Tick. Calling out for Tick. She's like Atticus because she hears footsteps in the distance. She sees this huge like pretzel shaped thing in the distance. Everything here you seems to be. Like a pretzel? It looked like a pretzel to me. It or a honeycomb. Like a heart ventricle to me. Oh. I don't know. No, that makes sense Beauty because in like. Because in like sci-fi stuff, like alien ships and things often mimic human things like it could be a heart like it's living breathing thing i don't know i didn't know what it was i just knew it was huge like it was gigantic in proportion to her yeah it was she hears footsteps she thinks it's tick it's not there's two giant like android robots approaching her instead and the next thing we know she wakes up naked on a floating platform and i'm like okay real bodies like She looks like a real ass woman. She's just naked. Yes, girl. Thank you for being so. And also, again, her edges are sweated out again. (laughs) I like that. Like, it it sounds funny, but also like sometimes they miss these things in movies, right? Especially with black characters. They're like, okay, she's just been through all of this trauma, all of this like suspense and all of this movement. But her hair is perfect. That's not how how it works. Yeah. Baby girl does not have a relaxer. That's a straight mm-hmm. press and curl. Okay. So she didn't went through space time continuums and all kinds of shit. Her edges should have been sweated out. They were. So she's sitting on this floating platform and there's also a gray jumpsuit that's next to her. And she looks at her wrist and she notices that there's some kind of like chip implanted in her wrist. Cause she can actually see like her arteries and her veins pumping blood. And this was giving me all of Octavia Butler all the way. Like, I love that. All of it. Like, I haven't read Parable of the Sower in a long time, but I'm rereading Dawn, and this is almost like scenes verbatim taken out of that floating platform, locked in a room, gray jumpsuit. Beautiful. Um. So shout out to the writers for, like, highlighting Octavia Butler, who, by the way, just maybe two weeks ago, finally got her first best-selling book. Whoa. Posthumously, I mean, she's been gone for a while. Yeah. So this is a big shout out to one of the originators of black sci-fi. When people were saying that black people were not interested in science fiction, Octavia Butler was like, I'll have you know, not only are we interested, but I write this shit. Bam. Thank you. There's also creepy sci-fi music. I'm like, yes. Now this is the shit that I can get into because this is just scary enough. It's not like actually scary. Right. 
she's you know curious she doesn't know Mm -hmm. where she is and there's an invisible barrier that prevents her from leaving and then what do we see then we see i said the dopest afro futuristic roblian a Robly, a robot alien because i was like i can't tell if this is like an outfit or if you like a robot slash alien but your fro hell on point and i just i felt empowered looking at this i'm like just talk she's a badass she reminded me of garnett from uh steven universe i think it's called i've only watched the show a few times but there's definitely a black woman character with a big ass afro i think she's voiced by estelle um that's cool and seen that we also know we note that she is a giant like relative to um hippolyta she's at least three and a half four times her height easy um so this woman is a literal giant like you said she looks like a bad ass like i want to cosplay as this woman yeah that would be fun yeah she's dope and during uh, this time, Hippolyta has some questions. They're, they're valid questions. Who are you? What are you? And the reply was something as simple as, I am. And I said, you like God, Jehovah? Are we talking about big God? Like big G, little G? <laughs> like, because you know, I believe I'm a God too, but I'm a little G God and there's big G God. And I just thought that there was so much symbolism and so many parallels. The statement of I am. Mm-hmm. Like you said, we know what I am implies in Christianity. I am is God. It's I am that I am right in Hebrew. And it and it refers to the spiritual self or in like metaphysics, it re- refers to your spiritual self, your Christ mind that you are God, not like Christianity teaches you that you are little God, small G and other Christ mind esoterics metaphysics teaches no there is no separation between little g big g you are god period There's you are divinity parallel. you are the power you don't have you don't have a need for any external source of confirmation you are the power which turns back to me of what I think this whole story is about is about Tick and Letty and all of these black folk learning. They are the power, not that they have power or they can learn how to use power, but they are literally the power source. And we saw that when Tick was in that, um, what do we call it? When he was in Artem and they were oh, using him for the garden. Yeah. The garden portal. They were using yeah. him for the ritual. He was the literal power source. He was. So when she said, I am, I was like, God's a black woman. I've been telling y'all this. God created the universe and everything in it. And God is a black woman. Bow I'm down, bitches. The mother of all civilization. Thank you. Like Beyonce said, bow down. Also, Speaking of Beyonce, this yes. character's name is actually Beyonce, yes. which sounds like Beyonce. And says in French is, I think it's um, conjugated to, what is it? I It's not I am, but it is, I, I don't know. I be, I is. I be, I is. Exactly. So it's this whole thing of like, I am. Yeah. It just, I just am. So whatever. That was a lot this this whole thing was just like a shout out to black woman and i am here for it all of it and her response after i am was 
Hippolyta was like, you can't keep me here. And she was like, baby girl, you not in prison? Yo, that was so heavy for me. It just took me to the place of thinking about the mental prison itself. And, you know, you talking about us recognizing that we are the power. It's like, I'm not physically in prison sitting here next to you. No, but there is mental prison or oppression that's taking place that does keep me locked up and bound. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was actually beautiful to kind of see her work through understanding what she meant by that. And, but also she was in a physical prison because she tried to get out the door slammed. So I was like, well, am I? Cause she was like, you're not in prison. And like Hippolyta was kind of like, but it feels like I am. Cause like I try to leave and then I can't. So what is going on? And so we notice it looks like she's going crazy, but she's not really growing, going crazy. She's doing a lot of self-talk and she's trying to talk herself through like the physics of what happened and she's assessing her surroundings. We notice that her wounds are healing. So there's like self-healing. That's also a very Octavia Butler thing. She concludes that there's sufficient oxygen to sustain human life. So she's doing all of these, like she's a scientist. She is taking notes. She's making observations and she's going to create a hypothesis. And she also realizes she's like, is this a ship? Am I on another planet? She realizes that she feels lighter when um then she would on earth she feels light like Arinthia blue would on mars so gravity is less than it is, would be she also asks herself what would her dad say i thought that was so important we realize that a lot of the things that she's learned or at least her being supported in learning these things comes from her dad yes. that gets reiterated because that's the other question i have is like I don't question whether black women have the capability to learn all these things and do all these things. But in that time, I'm like, who gave her access? Who gave her the resources? Because these things were not being provided to black people, especially not black girls and women. And that answer seems to be her dad. Yes. So she mentions Gustav me, a physicist who warmed, who warned of gravity shifts in the future. Um, she's doing probability and statistics. She's counting the tiles that are in the room and she counts them to 10 to the 192nd power, which equals 63 trillion celestial panorama. Like, how is she doing this in her head? She's doing this math. She doesn't have a calculator. She don't have an abacus. She not even making, she not making uh, cross marks on a wall. This bitch is calculating shit from her brain. Yeah. Pretty amazing. I'm just mind blown, bro. Can I just sit at your feet? I I feel like she is the daughter that my parents wish they got. <laughs> Don't do that. That's what I feel like. Don't do that. Yes. So she does all these calculations and we find out a lot of these calculations are for her to figure out how to open the door. Yeah. She figures it out only to be met by the giant woman. And um, she pushes her away with some kind of force that comes from her Iron Man hand. I'm going to call it Iron Man hand because that's what it looks like. It's this like robotic hand that has energy that comes out of the palm. Yeah, that is what it looked like. That's accurate. And she's able to restrain her energetically. It's this is some crazy shit. And she just repeats, you're not in prison because Hippolyta is like, where? Let me go. She said, what the fuck do you mean? What the fuck? At this point, she's delirious. <laughs> what the fuck? Just tell me what you need me to do to get up out of here. 
And she says, you are not in prison. Where do you want to be? Name yourself. Name it. Who do you want to be? Name it. Hippolyta at this point is like, okay, I want to be dancing on the stage in Paris with Josephine Baker. Since you keep asking me these dumbass questions. So be it. And what happens? She's transported right there. Listen, she showed up on this stage like, wait, what? And then she was super starstruck when Josephine Baker came down the stairs. I thought the look that Josephine Baker gave her was so cute. Like, yes, ma'am, I know you're a fangirl. And she do. She like, I don't recognize you, but baby girl, we on stage. Let's, let's get it together. But you know, Hippolyta was like, how the hell am I in Paris? And I am actually on the stage with Josephine Baker and I'm out here with my whole body out and feathers. This yes, is a lie. This is a lot. Girl, she was fucking up the whole choreo Whole thing. And all the dancers were like, ha oh, ha, wee wee, she's getting on my nerves. I was just like, what? I was like, why are these, what's, what's wrong with these French bitches? Like, calm down. Ma'am, you are in my spot. Get your counts right and keep moving. Listen, uh, listen, y'all just, y'all showing ass and titties, titties anyway. Sis, calm down. Take your bra off. It'll be good. It's okay. That's all you gotta do. I thought it was also interesting that Josephine Baker appeared in this as her mentor because Josephine Baker is from St. Louis. And we know that part of this story takes place in St. Louis. True. And we also know part of the last episode, um, Jiha was obsessed with a movie that was about see you in St. Louis. So maybe again, we're headed to St. Louis. Yeah. I don't know. That'd be the only thing um, we get from that episode. I like how Josephine mentor, mentors her on the spot, though. Like, she noticed that Hippolyta is messing up. And so they get off stage. And Josephine is like, girl, let me show you this quick one-two. Boop to boop. Bang, bang. And as soon as Hippolyta is like, oh, hey, girl, we friends. Josephine, like, goes in her dressing room and closes the door. Um, like, are we friends, but I'm still the boss. So, like, calm down. Don't be making me look bad. Yes, and she tells her, you're not in America anymore. You have to loosen up. And I think that that is a great insight because she, Hippolyta has never been anywhere that she's able to be, able to have been free. Right. So she's like, you, the, the things that exist in America don't exist in Paris at this um, macro level. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of microcosmic racism, but at the macro level, it didn't appear there if you were a person of certain means. Um, and you had to be a person of certain means to be black and then move your ass to France. So let's just be honest about that. Everybody did not have, everybody ain't able. So there is definitely privilege there. Um, I liked this because I was thinking this is how black women support one another. Ruby pay a fucking attention. Mm -hmm. Not how you did Tamara or Tamara, not how you've been backstabbing your sister. You actually mentor and usher other black women in the door. You do not have to compete with them. You do not have to belittle them. Josephine Baker was very clear. She knew that Hippolyta was not competition. She was just another black woman who was able to come in the door. She wanted to make sure she had the keys to success. Yes. That's it. it was a nice representation of a mentor relationship and what we saw transition into friendship. And we, what I gathered from this is Hippolyta chose to stay in this setting with Josephine Baker and performance for, for longer than a day or longer than a, a few minutes. Like she spent some time there. I remember thinking, oh, she's living her best life right now. She's mm -hmm. experimenting with drugs. I'm seeing her low key flirt with, with bartenders and women. 
yes, I saw her flirting with women. I said, did she just do a line? Okay, just let yourself loose. Listen, she... Let your soul glow. Let your soul glow. She was living her best life. She said, D who? George who? My name is Hippolyta. It's about me, 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 me. She literally said, forget about you. I think she did forget about them. We also see <laughs> that Frida Kylo was there and um, Frida and Josephine had a little situation going on. So more historical facts. Were those rumors proven? I mean, everybody know. Would Frida Kahlo have been in Paris around that time or you think they were just taking some liberties? They were taking liberties. Okay. And I think this is, I saw someone say that this is kind of the Easter egg that was letting us know that she wasn't actually um, in a time machine because that would not have happened in that time. This was more her reimagining what she would like to have seen. I like it. So that I makes think sense. that's what it is. Okay. Okay. Yes. And so after one night after, so they're having these wild parties and stuff like that. But one night Josephine gets kind of somber and Hippolyta, you know, notices it. And Josephine says, you know, she feels like a star. And she's like, girl, you are a star. You Josephine Baker. She said, no, baby, I don't mean it like that. Not like that. Anybody can be a star like that. She said, I feel like I am the stars, like the cosmic stars that are magnificent. They're ancient and they're already extinguished. Girl... Who wrote this? Because we, whoever wrote all of this dialogue, I don't even know what this means, but I feel it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but I know what it means, but it's like she, in, in, in Hippolyta was just saying, you know, I, I feel like that too. Like when I, when I'm here, it illuminates the, the areas of my life that were dead, mm-hmm. um, of not being enough. And, you know, Josephine is like, well, they don't call it the city of lights for nothing. Like when you, experience a certain level of freedom you realize how you have not been free otherwise um she's experiencing freedom like she's never known it before racism racism made her the like the exceptional negro that they wanted her to be um and then she says this thing about i feel like they found a smart way to lynch me without noticing the noose hands down best line of this entire episode and there were some great ones this one right here took me out i had to press pause because i don't know who wrote the dialogue who wrote this sentence but this was beyond relatable for me and i was like well shit am i her too like i just was looking at my life like have i done the same thing Mm mm-hmm I said, my God, my God, my God, because I mean, this is the whole code switching, uh, respectability politics, the talented tenth, this classism, elitism, or like isms and schisms, as my people would say it. Like these are the these are the ways that racism infiltrate your life and make you feel like you have to do or you have to perform or you have to be. And that's what it felt like when she was saying like. They found a smart way to lynch me. They found a way to kill me or to contain me without me even noticing that I had been killed. Like, it made me think of that um, metaphor analogy that like the frog that's in the pot of water that wouldn't jump into hot water, but is in a pot that is warmed up, die. Mm-hmm. And it's like you internalize that. You spend all this time thinking of these things, doing the work or the, the things that you think will advance you and or make you better. And you still have nothing to show for it. Yeah. And then she also goes on to say, 
And I thought this was like you said, all of this writing, she goes on to say, sometimes I want to kill white people. And you know, that is such a dangerous thing to say, even with me saying it right now, right? There's that like, oh, can I say that? I can absolutely say that. But it's not a safe thing to say. And we know for a fact, it was not a safe thing for her to say during that time. And it this conversation very much feels like not only is this the first time she's realizing these things, this is the first time that she's given voice to these feelings. These are not things that as black people, you say out loud and they're most likely things that you don't even want to think because someone has made you feel bad for thinking something like that. And not only that, there are consequences. Yeah. And, and there's fear around it. I don't think it minimizes the fact that it is a legit and real feeling. Yes, it's definitely a real. Th- and she said, but I don't just hate them. I hate me for letting them make me feel. Whoo. I just, I just feel, I, I listen, y'all did a whole, y'all gave, I know I talked a lot of shit about the last episode and y'all just giving me everything that I need in this episode. So I really appreciate it. And Josephine asked her, what are you going to do with all that anger? And in that moment, she leans her head back and she says, I am Hippolyta. And she's transported to a village in West Africa, because now we know that I am statement is not just a affirmation. It's also a way that she transports into. A, um, and so now we are in Dahomey. So we're in West Africa. Um, she's in warrior training and she's being trained by Nawi, who is thought to be the last Dahomey Amazon. I believe Nawe died in the 1970s. So imagine being alive in the, um, I think late 1800s to the 1970s. And um, I also got this nugget from Shannon, who is the co-writer on this episode from her Twitter feed, because I was trying to figure out like which warrior tribe or which African queen was being displayed because there's so many of them right and she said that it was the Dahomey Amazons um which is what the Europeans called them but their name was actually the Mino or the Mio which means mothers um so they were a fine all-female military regiment of the kingdom of Dahomey which is in present-day Benin and um also they inspired the Warriors in the Black Panther. What was the name of the Warriors? Dora Mihai? I can't remember, but y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, But the women warriors in Black Panther. And this Nawi is going in on Hippolyta, but also the other warriors around her. She says, your whole life, they told you you were free. Free to raise their children, free to cook, but it is still their world. All they offered you was the freedom of a well-kept slave. You've got to find freedom for yourself. I can't tell you what real freedom looks like. You've got to find that for you. But (laughs) Shannon, did y'all, Misha, any of y'all Kojic? I just feel like y'all went to seminary or y'all grew up Kojic and y'all was like, we about to make this a whole just sermon. Because yeah. I feel like I just need this whole thing. I felt like I wanted to shout. I wanted to cry. I was ready to give all kind of love offerings. I'm like, that'll preach. That's a whole word. A whole word. And so 
Naui and Hippolyta are fighting. She's teaching Hippolyta to stand up for herself, how to actually be a warrior. And they're going back and forth. She's getting knocked down. But every time she gets knocked down, she gets back up. And eventually she gets Naui in a position of power where she could kill her if she wanted to. This is training, so you're not going to. And in that moment, Hippolyta becomes a warrior. She's given the the seal of approval from, I'm not sure if this woman is a queen, but she's someone in power who gives her this, um, not crown, but a um, helmet for war. And I thought this was very interesting because this felt like it was representative to the pan-African concept of returning home, of how black folks outside of the continent can come back home to the continent of Africa and and be received like, welcome home, we are glad to see you. That's what that felt like to me. Then we see Hippolyta leading for women into battle against an army of white men that I thought might be the Confederate army. But I really loved how she stated sometimes she wants to kill white people. And then soon after we got to see her do it, I was like, Ooh, yes. yes. And against someone, if I'm looking at it this way correctly, it was the Confederate army against some people that definitely needed to be killed. Were they? Cause I think they were the, I thought they were French. Only because they, the Dahomey fought the French on several occasions, because that's the reason why Benin is, it's a French Republic. Could totally be. But they did very I mean, much either look. way, they were colonizers. Let's they were. They was white men who needed to be. That's what it was. Um, and they were, she was fighting to the song that was playing in the background. It's Fire by Mother's Finest, which is a black band. Amen. You know, so here we go again. Black, 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 black. Blackity, black, black, black. Black. She was kicking butt and taking names, and I just ain't got shit on Hippolyta. Nope. Nope. And then this next part, this monologue. Tell the people. Tell them. I wrote the whole thing down because I just was like, (laughs) whoo, if she, if y'all don't give her her Emmy for this and this alone, like this right here, she was telling. So it appears because she beat Naui that she is now like the leader. Right. So she is telling her troops, we are here because we did not believe them when they told us our rage was not ladylike. We did not believe them when they said our violence goes too far. We did not believe them when they said the hatred we feel for our enemies is not godlike. They say that to women like us because they know what happens when we are free, free to hate when we must free to kill when we must, free to bring destruction when we must. That is our freedom. That is our prayer. No matter what they think of us after we grind them into dust, that is our love. Listen, when I tell you I wanted to shout, because how many times have we heard that, that whoever we are or however we feel about being held down or someone saying something racist or sexist or totally out of pocket, how it's not ladylike, how it's not Christian-like, how it's not God-like, how this whole bullshit about turn the other cheek, like somebody gets to direct hate and harm towards you, but you have to be the bigger person. I say it all the time. Like I love Michelle Obama, but when she said that whole, when, when we go, go, when they uh, go low, low, we we go go high. high. No bitch. When you go low, I go lower. I'm going the lowest. Like as low as bitch can you, how low can you go? 
Can you go down low? All the way to the floor? Yes, the fuck I can. We going as low as possible. And I think this is what, that's how this felt to me, is that how you feel is valid. It's not, you're not lying to yourself. You're not making it up. You're not imagining it. It's valid. You have the right to feel it. And also love shows up in a multitude of ways. Love shows up by you properly setting boundaries. Love sometimes shows up by you knocking the fuck out of somebody. Like when Tick beat the hell out of his daddy, he did that in a loving way. (laughs) He loved his daddy. He had to put that nigga in its place, right? Like, but it's all of these like respectability politics and what it is to be a woman, all of these things. And when I heard this, this is what I did. Now, some of y'all might not be Kojic. So y'all might not know what that is. But if you Kojic, you know what that is. I, I had a praise break. Like Ashley said, I wanted to donate to the building fund, to the anniversary fund, Sunday school, I wanted to do it all. This was everything. Shout out to Misha and Shannon for for writing this monologue. That was everything. Everything. And then what happens after that is she stares into the camera and the white soldiers are approaching. She takes off her helmet and she says, I am Hippolyta, George's wife. When she looked into that camera, like I said, if y'all do not give her this Emmy, I'm going to be highly upset. She was acting. Acting her, her whole off. face, all of that. What happens after that? She's then transported to what we know as the last time or morning that she was in bed with George before he took his trip to Artem. I thought that was loved how they played back the wife. And... We can see her being super excited and sharing with him everything that she's experienced on these adventures. And she's talking about how she was in the white room and how she's like, I know this wasn't like a time machine or it was another planet. Like this is the idea of the many worlds. And I use all of the equations, everything that Crystal's already spelled out to the T as if she knows it already (laughs) and how she was excited to be able to know that there is a world that exists where she can call or name herself anything and it be made manifest. And George is listening. You could tell he's like super excited about it. And then he's like, so is this real? And then I'm like, oh, he's still dead though. <laughs> that he has to ask this question. Cause now I'm trying to figure out how we going to get uncle daddy George back. Listen. If I know that you were able to have this experience. When right? uncle daddy George showed up on that screen. I said, fix it, Jesus. Y'all know that meme of Kevin Hart when he saw Beyonce when he was in. <laughs> that's how I felt. Like I wanted to lean out and touch the hem of his guard. <laughs> Uncle Daddy George. Oh, my gosh. And she also explains to him throughout her adventure. She explains that there was no time. She figured out there's no time machine. There are so many worlds that she's in alternate universes. Yes. Or parallel. Yeah. And so now we know that where she is now is she's in the bed with George because in that alternate universe, he's not dead, but she's not really sure how it works. And she says it doesn't matter. It feels good and feels real right now. So I'm just going to be in this moment. And this is when Fix it, Jesus. Fix it, Jesus. I really love this interaction. So then he's like, after all of your adventures and everything you've seen, 
you still named yourself my wife. And I was stuck because I couldn't tell if he was like grateful and honored or if he was like, girl, you shouldn't have been thinking about me. (laughs) (laughs) And she has this moment as she's laying there, she pops up and she's like, "Mm, now I can place it. Like, I know what it is that I've been feeling all this time. I used to think I was missing you when you were on these guide trips. And she said, but no, it is, it is anger because I feel like I have been shrinking. When she goes on to say that she, and I think that this is a lot of black women's story. She started out as a child that felt like she could do anything and had every right to name things out of this world, i.e. Hera's Comet. Mm-hmm. And then as time passed on, she began to shrink. And she says that by the time she met George, she was so small, but she looked to him to be able to see her and pull that out of her. And he was too comfortable because he wanted his wife at home and his family and for him to be doing his stuff on the road that he never nurtured that. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, you should be angry at him, but you're probably also angry at yourself for just never nurturing yourself or stirring those parts of yourself. And she's like, you just stood by and let me shrink. And if you can see him attempting to justify this, like, well, I mean, you should have said something. And she's like, I did. I tried. And I thought back to episode one, where even though it wasn't extremely aggressive, but she's she's making the nudge. Let Mm -hmm. me take a guy trip. And it's like, oh, it's not safe for you. And even though he called later to say, oh, we could do it. We should do it together. That's not what she asked for. No, she wanted to take a guy trip by herself. Yep. And somebody was trying to debate that with me. I was like, it's not the same. I don't care that he came around. That's not what she asked for. What she asked for. But in this moment, he became accountable for his actions and also how he made her feel. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so beautiful because you can't go back. You can't change the past. Right. You can't do anything about that. But you can say, oh, shit, you are right. Because what I loved about you was the fact that you were an adventurer. Mm-hmm. I loved that you were so much smarter than me. All these things that I loved about you, you shrank. And I never said, hey, you don't do those things that I love about you anymore. I became complicit yep. in you shrinking. So it's an inside job, but it's an outside job too. And when he spoke up and said that, and I was like, this is why... In that first episode, we were so in love with seeing them in the bed, having this intimate moment. It was, of course, black love and intimacy, but it was this shit right here. These are the tangible things that you can feel. Like sometimes you see a couple and you're like, I know everything's not perfect, but I love the way that you stand up or you stick up or the way that you you hold yourself accountable. And we see that here. And this, to me, even further justifies. I'm like, yep. He ticks daddy because right. he didn't talk tick how to be accountable. I thought the same thing. And he said, I see you now. And I want you to be as big as you can be. Woo! Jesus! I melted. I was like, man, if they don't get it popping right now. Now, I don't know if he's saying it's because he dead. I don't know. I think that he was genuine. Yeah, I really do. And I think we know enough about George's character that this would be his response. Yes. We're not surprised by this. No, we're not surprised by this. And she's not surprised by it. And this is why she married the man that she married. But like you said, it's a great point that a lot of times what you find intriguing or you love about a person often becomes a thing that you 
want to train them out of or push them out of because it becomes inconvenient when you're building a life with someone, right? And so these are the things that we have to um, be aware of with ourselves. It's like, not only how are we shrinking and why are we shrinking, but who is complicit in it? You want to just make sure that you have people in your life who are going to hold you accountable and say, hey, I noticed that you said you want to do this thing and you haven't done it. What's going on with that? Absolutely. Opposed to someone being like, yeah, that wasn't for you anyways, right? That kind of thing. And this is just a beautiful thing. And in that moment, she gets to name herself again. again, And she says, I am Hippolyta Discoverer. And she stretches out her hand. Stretch out my, her hand to the grabs her husband's hand so that she takes him with her. And in this moment, I think this is so poignant because she realizes that once she owns herself, once she owns her narrative, she is naming herself. She has the power to choose to do it with him. It doesn't have to be either or. Right. You don't have to lose yourself in a relationship with someone. You can be your own independent self, be adventurous, be autonomous, have free will and still choose to do, to do that with someone else. And I don't think we get that message. I think we've gotten the whole like, listen, if you're going to do you, you got to do you alone. But she still chose. She still wants to be George's wife. She just doesn't want to solely be George's wife. And that's what I loved about this dialogue and that moment of revelation. I won't this point. But there are so many women, and I say especially black women. I remember growing up in the house, my mom had that little picture that said, you know, a woman's work is never done. Where And, and I have been different about how I approach relationships because I don't want to get lost in that and become who you want me to be or who you think that I, I should be. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to be myself, be who I am and who I want to be, and let's still do our thing and do it together. Mm-hmm. So grateful that I have that in my partner now because I haven't had it before. But that was a huge fear of mine, losing myself to, to just being a wife or just being a mother. Whew. A whole, we could spend a whole hour on that alone. Hello, like somebody. it's a lot going on. I just want to give a quick shout out to my main thing because, like you said, this is the first time that I've experienced being with someone who was like, "I want you to be all the things you, that you want to be," as opposed to, "Hey, hey, hey, now you're getting a little big for your britches." Hello, because I've had that. We ain't doing listen, that no more. It hits different. It hit. Listen, just that grown up love. <laughs> wheelbarrow <laughs> anyways <laughs> so she ta- she takes uncle daddy george's hand and they are now on mars we know they're on mars because she's arinthia blue and arinthia blue takes place in mars and i just love this because her baby imagined this world for her mm-hmm. de-imagined this world and her baby saw her bigness before anyone else did. Before her mama, before Hippolyta even saw in herself these things, Dee saw these things of her mother because she wrote this story and this character based on her mama. Listen, Woo, it's whoever like, thought to work that in. The very thing that she she manifested, she was before this episode, she was unable to manifest these big things. But the one thing she manifested was D. She brought D forth into this world. And the one thing she manifest allowed her to bring forth all these other things. Um, So they're they're exploring. They their aliens are around there. It's just a 
the I mean, this was shot so beautifully. It is just it colors really and it's like the Jetsons. It's like all kind of shit going on. And while this is going on, the musician, poet, Sun Ra's words are playing in the background. Woo! And these words, he says, I'm not real. I'm just like you. You Tell don't it. exist in this society. If you did, your people wouldn't be seeking equal rights. You're not real. If you were, you'd have some status among the nations of the world. So we are both myths. I do not come to you as a reality. I come to you as the myth because that is what black people are. Myths. You know what? This is just too much. It's just this too much. This too much. This too much. Do the doing the little Monique shake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she, y'all should really see what we're doing. Uh she's floating around as Arinthia Blue and she meets with Beyonce. Beyonce. Suspended in midair. Yeah, now I'm like maybe she wasn't a ro Roblian. <laughs> she might have actually just been a woman. But who knows? We <laughs> but don't I don't know because I'm like, she don't got that same outfit on. She got on a long flowing gown. Okay. And uh, Beyonce, and I said earlier, Seth, because again, I'm country. So I had to remem- remember country. <laughs> um, Beyonce lets her know that she is now able to fully integrate into their society because she's named herself. She has chosen who she wants to be. And the change is permanent, but also she can go back home through the portal. Cause Hippolyta asked like, can I go home? Is this permanent? And great. No, those are the questions to be asked. Listen, what's going on here. And she, Hippolyta realizes that home feels like the wrong word. Like how can she fit everything that she is now into that place? That's she's not, that small anymore so how does she fit her bigness into this place what we know to be earth or south side of chicago or just the world at large but then she realizes but d needs me i loved that comment not because i she but it was her experiences that she had in discovering her true identity all of her potential that she actually feels like I gathered that it would be a disservice to not go back and make sure able to know that you are the shit too. I felt that too. But then when I rewatched it the second time, I was like, but we don't know if she chooses to go back or not. I know. So I'm like, what is she going to choose? But I do feel like as a mom, her going back to then pass on these revelations to her daughter would be a great service. But in the other breath, I'm like, you got to remember Arinthia blue and all this other shit came from D's mind. So D may not need D may not need the instruction that Hippolyta needed because remind, remember when they went to the museum and she found yeah. out her mom named that star, my mama named that, my mama named that star. And, and Hippolyta was like, it's okay. We know she was like, no, no, sweetie, let me show you something new. And I think that's oftentimes what um, children do for their parents is they remind them of things that they've lost they're like no 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 that's how the world has taught you to operate but i'm new here and nobody's taught me that yet so i'm gonna need you to go ahead and just show up as your full self so i'm not sure because in this scene we see the portal open up and we rightfully assume that it's hippolyta but it's tick tick comes back we have no idea where he's been though where has that's what makes this complicated 
this whole thing is complicated. So we're back in Kansas and Tick transports back to the lab and he's hipping for his, he's looking for his TT. He like Hippolyta and there's police sirens on the way. So apparently all of this took time, took place in a very short period of time because they killed the cop, you know, oh. and the sirens are just now come. The police are just now coming. It was like minutes in our time. Right. But it's a whole lot took place. Um, he sees that the, he sees the dead, the dead cop and he's fiddling with the machine, like trying to figure out how to get Hippolyta back or like how to get it to shut up. I don't know what he was doing, bro. Stick to the spells. You don't need to be messing with that machine. Listen. And in his hand, he has a copy of Lovecraft country, the book, but this time the author says George Freeman. So I'm like, bro, what did you do? Yeah. Or that's the question. Or was Uncle Daddy George the actual author of some shit and then his name got taken off of it? I don't know. We don't know. Thank you, Lovecraft, for giving us more questions after more answering a question. few. Thank you. Because that's what y'all do. So he grabs the key and he grabs the, the guide. Is that what he grabs? Some kind of journal? No, I thought it was just the book. I didn't say anything else because what I thought that he needed to grab, he left behind. Yes. And then the camera pans over to the dead cop. And we see that what he left behind is the copy of Arinthia Blue, which happens to say made by Diane Freeman. Girl. Next to the dead cop. This end of this story. This is how this episode ends. And again, like Ashley said, y'all answered a few questions, but now we have hella more questions because we don't know where Tick was this whole time. Uh, I had there, there's theories. Of course, one theory is that like Letty is some kind of daywalker vampire situation. Also, like, what if Tick was the person who went back to Tulsa to save his family? But is that possible? Like, we know that Hippolyta didn't necessarily transverse time; she transfers universes, right? But is that what Tick did, or did he transverse time? You pose a good question because we think it was universes, but because there were multiple portals, could one of them transported you to the past? Yes, because the way that the space time continuum works in sci-fi is like if you go back and change something in time, right? Like it changes a slew of other things like the butterfly effect. Right. So when we see that that book has been authored by George Freeman, I'm like, how did that occur? I don't know. Um, What's up with Uncle Daddy George? Is he coming back? Is he staying in that unit? Like... We didn't have get to have a repass or nothing for you, sir. Like, I just feel like we didn't get what we needed. Um, I'm hoping that whatever universe world Hippolyta settles in, that we see him. And this is how he'll be worked at back into the story. I do know that they said in the book he did not actually die so we're still looking for the way that he actually comes back and, and has a a role that we've seen early series also shout out to the music supervision the music was back on point this episode y'all spot on i appreciate it there was only one song that was missing because this this whole episode felt like it was an ode to black women yes it just felt like it was a bomb in gilead like it just was like all these things going on with Brianna and all these, and just the shit that happens to that's directed towards black women. That's exactly what I said. Whoo. This felt like it was, it was written. We know it was written for us. And I feel like it was written. Sorry. We know it was written by us. There you and go. I feel like it was also written for us. What, what? And so because of that, when I saw this, I just, this, the spirit of Solange leapt into my body. And I just was like, 
All my niggas in the whole wide world. Hey, all Girl. my niggas in the whole wide world. Yes. This shit is for us. That's, if we didn't have copyright situations, I would play it. And I know I can't sing. But like when she said this shit is for us. This is what she meant. 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 So thank y'all so much for getting us back on track. Please keep us here. Um, I was very adamant last episode that last episode did not need to take place. I think Ashley, how do you feel about that? Episode seven, did that After need? After episode seven, I have confirmed that episode six should have just been a deleted episode. Deleted. Or at the very least, because even the pace There's of- no very least. It should have just been cut. Well, no, I mean, like, we could have got 20 minutes. We only needed to know what Jihai was and why. That's it. All that other shit, y'all could have kept that. Y'all could have kept that. And if I'm being honest, I need more Hippolyta. I don't know if this is going to be a spinoff or whatever, but, like, that shit y'all did for Jihai, I want to know more about Hippolyta. I have more questions about why Hippolyta, or not why, how is she so masterfully brilliant in this time and space, y'all could have spent an hour telling me that. I did not need to know an hour about Jiha and her mama and Judy Garland and all the other kind of stuff. That's what makes this show so unique and so weird sometimes too, because you can take an episode and it could be that person's episode. We've seen we've seen it with Letty, we've seen it with Hippolyta at this point, and you're like, man, they have so much character development. Like, just give me that. But that, next week we might just have something back to the larger story arc and get another couple questions and have another have 10 more yeah yeah y'all setting this up for like six seasons and i ain't mad i'm gonna watch all six of them and i'm gonna talk shit about all six of them but i know that i'm going to like if majority of them are like this episode i'm going to like this made me go oh my god i love lovecraft again that last episode had me on the fence well i wasn't that bad but this is this is why i love lovecraft yes this is why listen (laughs) because Look at this is why we love you because listen, I don't have that at all, but I, we feel like you love us and we love you for that. So that's it for this episode, y'all. We're going to see y'all again at the same black ass time in the same black ass place. Until then, continue to defend, support, and protect black lives.